Well, I hope that you saw in our scripture reading the idea of good, better, and best. Um, I mean, we see it all the time. If you do any amount of shopping today, online or even at the store, heaven forbid, if you still go to the store, I mean, 90% of my shopping is now on Amazon, I think. But, uh, you know, so we can send Bezos to the moon. But that was a joke. But anyway, <laughs> that was my poor attempt at humor. But uh, don't worry, I get funnier the tired I get, more tired I get. So come back later on this, tonight and I'll talk with you if you want to talk funny things. But good, better, and best. Every time we go shopping, they're, they're always like, oh, yeah, you've chosen a, a good thing. But they said, but did you know that there's a better thing? And look and lo and behold, and they'll sell you, and I'll try to sell you this better thing. And lo and behold, it's always cost more. But what's the benefit of that? My, you know, my my stepdad growing up, he used to tell me the same thing. He's like, he's like, Kyle, you can go out and buy this cheap car, or you can save up and buy this better car. And then you trade that better car in and, and just keep getting a better car. He says you work hard and you and the, but the end result is this replication of something that's better. And so he had a really keen business eye, and so he was always, uh, I always started catching some of these things. And I learned real fast that, you know, just the cheap things aren't always better. I learned that when I bought shoes. You know, I started buying my own shoes, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to buy the cheap thing, right? Uh, because I was a poor college student. And I, I buy the cheap shoes, and, and less than a month later, you know, my toes are showing, or I, I feel the wet ground because of living in the Northwest, you know, and one of our deacons worked at a, a you know, the old floor shime and floor shop or shoe shop where they actually still made shoes. And he said, no, 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 because he saw me putting cardboard in my shoes. And he said, no, 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 <laughs> my pastor is not going to have holes in the bottom of his feet. So he said, have you ever bought, seen these kind of shoes? And I said, no. And he said, these are real leather. And he showed it to the bottoms. These bottoms can be replaced. And and he started going through this whole process. He's like, you got to stop buying these cheap shoes. They're not good for you. He says, if you buy these shoes, they'll last forever. He said, just wash them once a week and, uh, and so on. And so he, he was teaching me how to find better shoes. And, it, and it, pay, it, it pays. In fact, I think the shoes I'm still wearing are, I think, about 15 years old. <laughs> but if you wash them once a week, they last Right? And, and, that's, and it's amazing when you... And so there's this idea of good, better, and best. And that gets us caught up in all sorts of things all the time. It caught Israel. Israel was stuck on what they thought was good. They saw the tabernacle and, and that was good. It was amazing. It was probably the most amazing tent ever in, you know, erected ever. They were like... This is an amazing thing that God had provided us in worship. We're going to go after this. This is really good. And then they got to the temple. I said, wow, this is, this is better. But God had other plans. He says, but Israel kept focusing on this great construction of a temple and its amazing wonder. And they said, this has got to be the best thing ever. And God said, no, I have something far greater and he gave us Jesus so that way we can behold his glory and we can have this great treasure of the Holy Spirit in our life and so God has shown us in, in our reading this morning we see this whole idea of, 
of all the things that are good are just a shadow of what is to come. And we get so caught up in things that are good that we miss that God is sovereign in control of all things. And in our text that we're going to read this morning, we see this idea that that Solomon goes as he's, as he's preaching to us about God's sovereignty. He's, he's turning this corner in our study of Ecclesiastes and showing us all these vain things. You can test wisdom. You can test wealth. You can, you can test power. You can test pleasure. You can test all of these things, and yet they fall short, really, to the glory of God. They're vain. They're truly not meaningful Because when we think about who God really is, they pale in all comparison, and they don't satisfy our soul. Our soul was created to be satisfied by God, and yet we still see all of God's good creation, and we get caught up in the good, which is just a shadow of what is truly best in God's glory. And so Solomon is turning this corner and he's giving us a whole list of his own Proverbs which match other Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. Which, and so as we look at this, he's still focusing on the sovereignty of God and he's still going into all these things. That, and, and this is the truth as we see the problems that we face today, whether it be the empty philosophy we see in a lot of what is coming out and what is pushing a lot of the political things that are going on, no matter which party you belong to, it doesn't matter which thinking you belong to, just politics and philosophy and the things of this world, there are are espoused all of these, this is what's good. But we should be saying, but what is truly better and what is really best. And that's where Solomon is taking us as we look at in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to look at just the first uh, eight verses, and we're going to look at some of these things that the world says this is good, but God says this is better. And in that better, we would scratch our heads and say, well, I don't really think that's better. But God shows us why. And so I love it when God gives us in the text what is good and what is better and why is this better, and he tells us why it's the best. And so let's pray and ask God to bless uh, the reading of his word, to bless and encourage our church body. There's lots to be praying for. If you've been praying for Adele, she's at home resting, praising God. I mean, she hasn't stopped praising God and uh, she was a great, it was great to visit her. There's lots of other things to be praying for, people that are dealing still with different cancer issues, different, there's just all sorts of things. I know Pastor Alf would love uh, you to pray for him as he has his appointment this Wednesday, talking and, because uh, they were supposed to give him some stuff to finish his surgery. He hasn't got that yet, but he'll be talking with the doctors, so just be praying for that. And uh, with you'll understand, though, why he's in such good spirits after we get through the text this morning, because he believes that this text 100%. And so he's an illustration of our text this morning. But I'll try not to mention you too much 
because we want to mention God more. <laughs> and so, and he'll appreciate that. But there's lots to be praying for, and so don't forget to continually look at the prayer sheet and pray for the church body and the things that are going on. And those that have been hearing the gospel all week, pray for, uh, don't pray that we share a lot of candy at the parking lot par- party, but we share what's truly better, and that is Christ. And because uh, that's really what we would really like to do is to share the gospel to those who normally wouldn't come to us and, uh, and uh, that we can invite them to know who our Savior truly is. is not a political system or this world, but it is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to Him. Lord Jesus, we truly want to honor You this morning. Thank You for being the best option and really the only option to saving our life. Thank you for the work that you did, that you didn't stay in tents made by hands, but Lord, you showed us that you truly are Lord. You're not just Savior, but you are Lord. You are sovereign. You reign over all things. You reign over your creation as direct implications. Pray that we would begin to see this truth and it would affect our minds and our hearts, that we wouldn't just know this truth, but we would believe this truth in a way that it affects our coming and going throughout our life, that we would see the fruit of that belief. And so, Lord, help us to be not just a hearer of the Word, but to be a doer of the Word. As we feel maybe a prick of, the, of your Spirit pricking our hearts and convicting us, that we would take that as a great blessing, that you are still working on us and drawing us ever closer to you, our Lord and Master. Thank you, Lord, that you are holy, and despite our unworthiness, our sinfulness, that you are providing a way for that eternal relationship And so, Lord, this morning we ask that you would bless this time and the relationship that we have with you as we read your word in relation to who you are, and may that impact our spirit this morning, and may we live for you. So help us now as we unpack your truth. May your truth be expounded. May, Lord, you forgive me for tripping over your word at time, and, Lord, may you be blessed as we worship you, in Jesus' name, amen. Our text this morning is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. After that great time that we spent dealing with God's sovereignty last week, he continues to talk about this whole idea of naming, naming things, and his, he has the right to name things, and he is sovereign over all things, and he is therefore in control of all things. He knows all things. He's not... You know, when, when the cows get out in the morning and we have to get to church, he already knew that. And so we learn how to praise God in the midst of our struggles. <laughs> that was a very real application, real world application this morning for the Decker family. Because they didn't just get out once, they got out twice. <laughs> Three times, okay. So, you know, we have stubborn cows. And uh, praise the Lord that we don't, we're not eating steak tonight, so... We didn't sacrifice any. <laughs> but uh, we get to this idea that God is in control of all things and nothing shocks Him. And so verse 1, 
God says this to us, and uh, let's look at it this morning. It says in verse 1, he says of chapter 7, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death basically is better than the day of birth. That really sounds strange. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of a wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Bitter is the end of a thing than it is in the beginning, and the, pa- the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Well, these Proverbs sometimes can give us thought to stop and ponder and say, what in the world is he talking about? Not just because kind of the language, there's some translation barriers in really trying to understand this, but also in the fact that as we look at this, what the things that he says that are better really cause us to scratch our heads and us to ponder why would God tell us these things? I'm reminded and I'm reminding us that a lot of times as we look at what Solomon has written down for us, for the Lord and for us, is the key to a meaningful or meaning relationship in life could be summed up in, some, in really one word, and that is our choices that we make. Choices that sometimes can be good, but also choices that are really, are they really good or are they really right? Is there something that is better? I think of Paul, he said it many times when he was talking to the Corinthian church because they focused on a lot of good things. But he, Paul repeatedly reminded him, just because these things are good doesn't mean that they are right. And we have to think about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Just because they're lawful doesn't mean that they're helpful, he said. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and towards the end of the chapter, he said, All things are good, but not all things are beneficial. And Paul understood this whole idea of what Solomon is trying to get across. That there are some things that are good, but it doesn't mean that they are the right choice or that they are the beneficial choice. Or the helpful choice. In fact, what's amazing in these eight verses, better than, that there's a choice that's better than, shows up seven times. Right? And so we see that this idea of a better than choice is important in this text. Not only that, but it comes on the heels of God's sovereignty. In the context, in the end of chapter 
6, the context of our discussion in the, in the Bible is that after a tremendous discussion of God's sovereignty, God is sovereign in the fact that we are not. We don't even know what is truly good for us. He said that in verse 12. If you go back in the context and you look at verse 12, it says, For, you, for who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life? which he passes like a shadow. Man really doesn't know all the truly good things. And the reality is, is that God is above all things. So God truly does understand what is right, not just what is good. And in God's sovereignty, he permits us to experience things in our life that are good. If left to ourselves, we do not see all the time. We do not always see the good in what God is permitting, like waking up to a good cup of coffee. That's good. <laughs> but my doctors say I have to cut that out. So that's, that's a really, I don't know if that doctor gave me the best advice. <laughs> but yes, she did. <laughs> It is helping. The less I drink coffee, it is really helping. I can feel the difference. But here's the thing. I, 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 just, I just have to laugh. At, when we watch our videos in Sunday school, the guy's always talking about a good cup of coffee. And I just, ah, that, that's what I used to say every morning. <laughs> but here's the point of our text this morning. And as we get into our unpacking our text, as I try to make this thing work, which Leanna will bail me out because it ain't working. There we go. There we go. Here's the point of our passage this morning, is the better life is attained through God's sovereignty. So the best life, the meaningful life, is attained through God's sovereignty, believing God's sovereignty and living our life in a way that shows that we actually believe it. Keeping in mind by making right choices, not just good choices. See, when we believe that God is sovereign and it affects our thinking, we don't just simply make good choices, we end up making better choices. God leads us there. It's a biblical word we call discernment. Some naturally have it. It's just a natural gift that God has given. And the Bible says one of the gifts is to discern, to know, to see right through deception, to discern between good and evil. But we, when we more and more we practice trusting God, believing God, believing that He is in control of all things, the more we practice that belief, it is easier for us to make better choices. Often, I have people ask, well, like, well, Pastor, how did you know to do that? You know, have you come face to face with that decision before? Have you experienced that before? Because everybody says experience is very important, right? And I'm like, half the time it's like, well, I don't know. I've never experienced that before. Well, how did you know to make that decision? A lot of prayer. A lot of prayer, many times. Trusting that the Lord is in control and that even if I make a bad decision, God's going to help me through that. Not living in fear. And it's amazing how many times I share my stories about 
farming and people are like, oh, wow, how, you know, did you do that before? And I'm like, nope, <laughs> never had a clue. <laughs> but I ask a lot of people a lot of questions to be able to do those things. God, the more that we trust God, the more we're able to make right choices. It's not always about just good choices. We are being flooded every day in the, in the Christian life with Christians saying, look, this is good. You know, how can we not agree with the term social justice? We hear justice and we know justice is good. But you have to stop and ask, what do people mean by social justice? Because God's justice doesn't need an adjective in front of it. It's just the best justice of all. It's right. It's true. And we got to ask, well, what do you mean by that? And as you begin to ask those questions, you discern that this isn't God's justice. You see, we're being given a lot of good terms. We're being, we're being, the Christian church is being given a lot of things and it looks all good on the surface. But what we don't see is, is that on the surface, all these good things that we're being told is really undercutting the gospel. And we aren't really making the right choice or the best choice. And so we really need what Ecclesiastes and what Solomon is giving to us that he received from the Lord when he was faced with all good things and he had all wisdom and he, was, he had tested all of these things and he said, here are some things that are good and here are some things that are better. And here we see in the first choice is, is this, it is better to choose a good name, right? Verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. Now you got to understand in Near Eastern culture and even in the Jewish culture, when you named a person, you had more than just a name or it wasn't just an afterthought. It was talking, they would many times wait a long time to name somebody because they wanted to see their behavior. They wanted to see what they were like, what some of the qualities and the name fit their character. And so the reality of when Solomon is saying a good name is better than precious ointment, he's drawing to their mind their cultural thought that yes, what he's talking about is good character. So a good name often represented a good character. And so many times some of that tradition in the olden days has carried through when we talk about when we talk to our kids, right? You remember, you are carrying my name. And we want our name to be good, right? We don't want our name to be mud, which we have an endless supply in our county here, <laughs> right? If you, if you lack mud, just come to my house. I'll give it to you. But here's the thing. The mind, the, in the mind of the Jew, when, and in the mind during this time, is, is that, yes, a good name, a good character was important. So it was meant to remind them that a good name was about their reputation. Proverbs 21 or 22 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. 
Solomon gives us right here the answer to what it means that a good name is better than precious ointment. Precious ointment was something like myrrh and frankincense, which was highly valuable. I mean, we're talking about years to get some of this ointment. It would be years and years of wealth to get a bottle, right? You remember how the, the Jews were so mad at, at Mary when she broke the, the expensive perfume on Jesus' head? Didn't like knock him unconscious, but he, she broke it and she poured it on because it was sealed, so you had to actually break the top of the jar, right? It was sealed. You couldn't just uncork it. it you had to break it, and then she poured it on his head and then poured it all over his feet, and they all got mad because there just went tons of money down the drain. A good name, a good name is better than wealth. A name is not just a mere label in Solomon's day. Ointment was just expensive. So riches and expense is not as important to reputation and character, Solomon is saying. Which leads to the next one. You're like, okay, so hold on to that thought about good character, a good reputation. So then he leads in, so if a good name and a good reputation is important, then he says, that affects the next one, and that is, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. And you're like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know about you. We, and Anissa was talking about this in our family just yesterday. Man, we scream and shout every time we know somebody is pregnant. It's like, we don't just celebrate the actual birth. As soon as conception has happened, we get ecstatic. And it just, I mean, we celebrate. And, and, and I got a gift. Kelsey, or Kaylee, you know, she introduced us to our new grandkid. We don't even know what it is yet, but our grandbaby. And, and they sent us a pacifier. So I had to test the pacifier out, you know, being the good father that I am. She didn't appreciate that. But <laughs> so we got a picture with the pacifier in my mouth. But that was how we found out she was pregnant. But here's the thing is, is Solomon says, no, wait a minute. The birth is not the most important. It's not what's... But the better choice is death. And he's like, wait a minute, what in the world is he talking about? And there's this huge grammatical connection. Do you notice that it says and? So take carrying over that idea of good reputation is best. We take it and carry that over to the death. And here's the idea. The day of one's death is better than one's birth because at one's death, the good character is seen in the sight of God and in the sight of all that come to mourn, which carries us into the next verse. We talk, we talk about that in memorials, right? We always cry at memorials, but we always laugh. Isn't that amazing? How can we cry and laugh all at the same time? It's a gift from the Lord. Because of good character. When somebody has good character and their life is found in the Lord, we see that translated in the New Testament. But this idea that it's, death is better because we see the good character and that good character is seen by God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same 
Jesus partook of the flesh and blood. And not talking about that he ate, but he was in the flesh and in the blood here on earth, living, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery. Do you understand that in, when we have the Lord and we have a good reputation that we love the Lord, that it is that we belong to the Lord because of what Christ did on the cross. He conquered death. Death no longer is a fear. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said this in verse 5. He says, For we know that if this tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, but an eternal one in heaven. For in his tent we groan, longing to put our, on our heavenly dwelling. Look at verse 8. It says, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from our body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That is God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul had that same thought in, when he said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ. It's all about Christ. That's his good reputation, is Christ. And to die is great gain. See, in Western society, we mourn death, we focus on when we're fearful of death and all these things, but in a good reputation, when we have Christ, there is no fear of death. Because the devil no longer reigns over our life. Because Jesus conquered death. Our reputation is Christ. When you think about it, when one has the right name, right? You know what I mean? When you get saved, you're adopted into the family of God. You no longer have just an earthly name. When you're baptized, you repent and you turn. You believe in the Lord and you're baptized and you're given a name. That you are now one of Christ's one, dear, dearly loved one. Christ is now our Father. You don't just have any name, but you have the name which is above all names. Christ, that's your reputation. And in that, now you have no fear of death. Death is a better choice because we get to be with our Heavenly Father for the rest of eternity no longer dealing with the actual pain, and that is life, right? It's like, finally, I'm a grandpa because I felt like it for a long time. <laughs> My body is wasting away, but praise the Lord for the new body that he'll give me one day. And that leads us into the next better choice, right? It's better to choose a funeral. You're saying, wait a minute, are you kidding me? yes. The preacher, in verse 2, he says this, It is better to go to the house of mourning. As talks about a funeral, by the way. And the Hebrew term for that is 
When somebody died, it would be a week-long mourning session. They even paid professional mourners. They were wailers. There were women who were great at wailing. They were so loud that everybody knew that death occurred. So that way, more people came to your house. That is true. It sounds really odd, but that is true. And they still do that in the, near, in the Middle East, in Near Eastern culture. The idea was so that everybody knew what had happened, and they would come to mourn with you, and you got gifts and food to support you, especially if it was the father that passed, because that was kind of how things happened, and it, you got the ball rolling on the eternal meal train, is what the idea, to support the widow. Right? And he's saying, the preacher's saying, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of festival. So Jesus is saying, or Jesus, well, it is Jesus because he is the word, but God is telling us here that it's better to go to this funeral than it is to go to a party. Can I get an amen? And you're like, that sounds crazy. All the kids are like, no way, man. Except my kids know when there's a memorial at the church, it means cake and ice cream and all the, you know, they know that all the good food comes out and they can eat as much as they want because dad and mom aren't paying attention to them because they're talking to all the people that are, you know, mourning. (laughs) And they, you know, anyway, I digress. But going back, (laughs) going to a funeral is better in this sense. It teaches us to be wise in the way we live in the way we look at death. That's what he's saying. Look at the text. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it or take it to heart. They internalize it. More people get saved at the preaching of the gospel in a lot of funerals. Because they take it to heart. They're like, that's, you know, my sleeping son right there, wake him up. But he's, he got saved because of my, my grandfather's funeral. And he wasn't even at my grandfather's funeral. Anissa found him crying because my grandpa died. And he knew that I loved my grandpa. What he didn't know is my grandpa wasn't saved. But it But praise the Lord, my grandpa gave me one last gift. God used that to lead my son to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Death helps us internalize the fact that how we live our life, God is real. Death is real. And we internalize it. A funeral has much more eternal and lasting effect on someone than a party does. I'll never forget my first luau party in Hawaii. I was 10. It was the first and last time I have ever been drunk. Because they didn't tell my mom that the punch was filled with rum. Probably about 80% of the punch was rum. And I had about eight glasses. I was a very energetic kid, but I was very shy. But my mom knew something was terribly wrong when I jumped up on the stage with the hula dancers. And she asked the, wait, the waiter, what is in this drink? And she, he's like, rum. 
And she's like, I tell you what, it cured me of drinking for the rest of my life because I threw up all the next day. My mom and dad were out swimming in the ocean and I was watching the whole thing from the hotel, puking my guts out all day. And I said, never again. That is not the good choice. (laughs) Yeah, you can go to a party and it only lasts for some of us the night of the party. Some of us it lasts the next day. But it doesn't do any good. And some of you say, well, man, life is not good, so I just got to keep partying to find happiness. We go to a funeral, we find out, and we hear about people. We hear about God and how God changed their lives. And we hear that they are eternally happy when we realize, we internalize that God is the better choice. He is best. Martin Luther said this, it is good for us to invite death into our presence when it is still at a distance and not on the move. Do you get that? Do you understand what he's saying? Invite death into your thinking before it's really on the move in your life, right? Charles Spurgeon gave similar counsel at great length often. He said, we are flying as some as on some mighty eagle's wings. He's talking about our life. Some of us feel like we're just flying on you know, eagle's wings. Swiftly on towards eternity. Let us then talk about preparing to die. It is the greatest saying we have to do. And we have soon to do it. So let us talk and think more about it. We don't talk about death enough. That's why I love uh, you with Pastor Ralph. If you walk with Pastor Ralph in our town long enough, he'll ask somebody, do you know where you're going to go when you die? Death is real. It's going to happen. Everyone will die. Do you know what's going to happen to you? He'll ask that question over and over and over sometime in his conversation about the Lord. We need to talk about death. Hell is real. And it's not just some place outside of God's pearly gates. That's the new, that's some new theology being kicked around today. Is that, oh, don't worry, hell is just like what we live, it's just like what we're living in right now. I'm telling you, it is not like what we are experiencing right now. Yes, some of the things that we experience are horrific, but it doesn't hold a candle to hell. That's why he says, in verse 4, he goes on to say in verse, or I'm sorry, in verse 3, he says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the face the heart is made glad. It is better to choose sorrow. It is better to choose sorrow. More literally, this is what it says in the Hebrew, is by sadness the heart is made better. You want know, a really quickest way to depression is try to defeat, defeat all sadness in your life. You can't do it. We live in a sinful, fallen world. It's filled with sadness. The point is not how much is not so much the gladness as it is the soundness of the heart. 
The literally, the fact is that sadness actually makes the heart sound or better. Dealing with death in all of its sorrows actually makes us better. People that face their sadness tend to never be truly depressed. Sadness is not really bad. It leads us to what is better in Christ. And and he gives us the reason why in verse 3, and that is because laughter does not automatically mean happiness. A lot of people laugh today. A lot of people smile. How are you doing today? Good. You keep asking questions and you find out life is really not good. I always answer that. Everybody's saying, how are you doing today, pastor? I say, I'm good. And this is what it means. So yeah, I have some pains and aches, but it's okay. I'm walking. I'm breathing. Right? That's all that matters. I'm still able to serve the Lord. Right? I have to qualify what good means. Because it doesn't always mean that my body feels good. (laughs) It means I'm okay with it. Laughter doesn't always automatically mean happiness. The truth is a person could be grinning from ear to ear and be miserably depressed on the inside. On the other hand, a person could be sad in their face, but be of, have a happy and sound heart that's filled with God's peace and joy. That's why Paul wrote to the Philippian church. The answer to all the matter is this, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it. He ain't done with you yet. And he says, don't worry about all these things. Have the mindset of Christ. Chapter 3, he says, the greatest treasure you have is knowing Christ. Do that. Run after that. Agonize over that. Don't agonize over what you see in the world. It's just going to depress you. Because that's why God wrote Philippians. The church was filled with depression. They needed to know what joy is. Just because a person is laughing externally doesn't mean he's happy internally. You see, God is not after the external. God is after the internal. No matter how sad things can get, right? This light and momentary affliction, Peter tells us, is just a moment and a blip in time compared to what God has in store for us, for those who love him. Right? Who are called according to God's purpose. Right? Because laughter doesn't automatically mean happiness. And we're going to stop right there and you're going to get part two next week. And everybody goes, praise the Lord. I have some really long things to discuss at the end of this chapter. And I don't want to miss it because of the sake of the stupid clock back there. And I love you enough that I don't want to drag it out any longer. (laughs) I want you to get the full weight of it next week. God is so good. Just because we face the things that we face doesn't mean it's really what's good. God is better. I hope you see the fact that we, many times in the church, 
get filled with this bill of goods. That this is what's good. We see words that are good. The world has gotten really good at using biblical words so that we would say, yeah, that's good, let's do it. But the reality is, just because it's good doesn't mean it's right or beneficial. And you have to ask yourself that question. Don't be deceived. Don't be buy into the philosophy of our day that to run after what looks good. Satan is using his chief scheme and he's selling you a bill of goods. He's trying to sell you an island that doesn't exist. That you can be good and that there are there enjoy all these good things. Right? Right? Alcohol is good, it doesn't mean it's beneficial. Sex is good, doesn't mean it's always beneficial because it can turn into immorality. You can idolize things in this world over God. There are a lot of useful things that God created for our good, but when we begin to worship that good, it doesn't become beneficial any longer because it takes God out of the equation. Medicine is good, but many times it takes God out of the equation. Now, I take medicine, so I'm not saying medicine is bad. But the problem is, is a lot of times we worship feeling good over than worshiping God, right? What's better? God is sovereign. He is in control. Do you believe that? You say, well, yeah, of course I do. I know God is over all things. He created all things. But are you living it? That's the real question to ask yourself this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text. What a such a timely text in light of all the things that we see going on around us. I pray that in some small way, one of these things that you wrote, one of these proverbs that you have given us, these little antidotes of wisdom might spur our thinking on towards your good deeds that they might see not just any good deeds, but they might see your good deeds and that they would glorify you as Father, our beloved Father, who has renamed us by the power of the cross. Lord, thank you for adopting us out of this sinful world by giving us life, not just any life, you gave us your life. You bled and died and took our place on the cross. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you for that amazing work of obedience. You chose the best choice to love us. That while we were still sinning, you chose to die for us. What an amazing gift. Many people know about it, but few actually believe it and repent and turn to you and trust you with their life. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that has been confused by what does it mean to be a Christian, 
They've been coming to church for a long time. They've been good. They've been, they know all the good things to do in religion, but yet they don't know you, the Savior of their souls. The one who stood between to take on the, all the wrath of God. Jesus, you took our wrath. The, the wrath that was meant for us. You took on all of God's wrath. The, that, that was meant for us. You stood in, in, our, in that place that we wouldn't have to. Paying for the penalty of our sin. What an amazing transference. You gave us your life. You took our death. That we might have life. And an eternal relationship with God our Father. Thank you, Lord, for that tremendous gift of life. Pray, Lord, that whether someone's listening or someone here today, that it would change their life for eternity, that they would, as we're praying, that they would take the time to just call upon you and be saved. Say, Lord, I know I can't pay for my sin. I'm not perfect. I don't have the perfect blood. I don't have the, I'm not the perfect lamb without spot. I can never be holy. But Lord, you sent your son to do that in my place. I'm turning to you and trusting you with my life. I pray that someone do that today. That if they hear that, that they will respond to the work of your spirit in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.